You're listening to Through Help and Back. Through Help and Back is a podcast focused on mental health, addiction, treatment, recovery, and all things related to personal improvement and wellness. Don't worry, we're not here to talk about problems without solutions, and we're definitely not here to talk about struggles without success. So come with your problems, leave with our solutions. Welcome to another episode of Through Help and Back. Um, as you all know, because you're here, Through Help and Back is a podcast that is focused on mental health, uh, addiction issues, uh, just general self-improvement, life improvement, uh, the journey and the process of understanding ourselves better. As always, we're always coming from a positive, solution-focused point of view. Uh, we're going to, as we like to say, you can come with your problems and leave with our solutions. And that's one of the things that I'm most excited about today because we have a guest who is an expert when it comes to finding solutions. Um, and most people, uh, like our guest today, who are experts at finding solutions, uh, found them uh, through some struggles, found them through some development, some challenges that they overcame. Bryn Tomes is with us today. He is, I'm going to mess this up. So I put this on my phone because I, I want you guys to know that uh, nobody can remember this word off the top of their head. But he is a uh, neurosynthesist, uh, a dadology founder. He is a mentor. He is a coach. Um, if you go to his social media, which we will share below um, and throughout this episode, you'll find out that he can help you uh, parent in a better way, parent more perfectly. And he's a huge advocate for single dads and brings a wealth of experience to that. So Bryn, welcome, sir. So glad to have you. Thank you very much. Namaste, my friend. And uh, thanks for having me on your show. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. We were kind of talking before. You sound great, but where, where are you today? Where in the world are you and where are you coming to us from? I'm in Lisbon at the moment, and uh, my daughter and I have moved here um, to in, embrace and enjoy the European culture. Um, we're from South Africa originally, and um, I wanted to give my daughter some uh, some different views in life and uh, some opportunities. So I knew that wasn't a New England accent I was picking up on, so uh, <laughs> I knew it had to be from somewhere else. So, so right off the bat, I mean, when we talk about things like uh, I don't want to get too far then because I want to hear your background and kind of how you got into the situation. But when we talk about uh, neurosynthesis and we talk about, you know, concepts like datology and things like that, like how did you find your way to that? What is the definition of that for you? Help me understand that a little bit better and help me understand how you got into that field. Sure. I mean, the basics is that um, I, so I'm a neurosynthesist, um, which means I help people get coherence between their mind and their body and their life by creating thoughts and emotions that they want for themselves. Um, and to do this, you are looking at your environment. Everything that you put into your body is energy and data. And it's about choosing the data and um, making healthy choices in your life that creates a thought pattern that is healthy. Because ultimately, um, you know, if you're going to go and hang out at bars until 12 in the morning, uh, 12 at night or, or 12 the next morning, <laughs> whichever way that goes, you know, we've all done those that kind of days. Um, you're, you're going to create a thinking pattern because your brain is constantly being programmed by the situations and environment and everything else that you are exposing it to because it's creating neural pathways in your mind that then lead to thoughts that think along those lines. So it's really about getting coherence with what you want in you, for yourself in your life, um, what I call uh, finding your truth. Because we all have a truth that guides us in what we want for ourselves. And so therefore, um, I'm a life transformational mentor. I help people transform their lives from 
um, from the place that they're stuck and where where they find themselves um, feeling um, overwhelmed. Um, and you know, there's no there's no manual in life. There's no playbook, and we take all this information and we try and figure it out along the way. And there are some serious, uh, seriously easy keys and processes that we can apply if we know what they are. And people like myself, uh, Tony Robbins, Dr. Joe Dispenza, Sadhguru's Deepak, the, all these kind of characters like ourselves, are, we're only conduits um, to helping people figure out what it is that they want for themselves. And it's usually one key that we op uh, um, offer somebody that helps them open their doors to an awakening. And the awakening is where they go, ah, oh, get it. I get what this whole thing is about. And then they still have choices, choices to move towards that point or don't move towards that point. And, and this really comes down to what the life transformational process is. Um, as a parent coach, um, my story is that I've raised my daughter um, on my own uh, since she was uh, nine months old. Um, basically, I was living a life of drug, sex, and rock and roll and uh, slamming it hard and with no purpose, no direction. Um, you know, I'd, I'd had quite a crazy upbringing and crazy life. Um, and at that stage, her mom and I were just potting our asses off. And, you know, I was just making too much money, trying to, with no purpose. And I thought my ego was more important. So I was feeding that, you know, with the cars, the houses, the all those kind of things with no purpose at all. And then, and when my, um, my, uh, her, well, Taylor, my daughter's mom came and said, well, let's, do you want a kid? I said, yes, let's do it in three years time. And at the hospital, I held my daughter in, in my arms as she arrived three years later. And I looked into her eyes. I fell madly in love with my child. And at the same time, I was looking at my biggest mirror. And in that moment, I just, I saw myself um, being a mess and not somebody who was capable of parenting. And that's not what I wanted for myself. And I didn't want it for my daughter either. And so I there on that moment changed my life. It was my pivot towards myself. And I then dug into myself to find out what it was that it brought me to this point where I was um, sabotaging, self-sabotaging. And why was it and all those kind of things. So um, I went into neuroscience, um, NLP, stoicism, psychology, uh, quantum physics, and uh, really went through all of my being to understand what are we actually doing here? I mean, if we think about cell phone users, um, so cell phone manufacturers say that um, cell phone users only use 25% of their the functionality of their phones. Why is that? Well, because we don't have time to read 500 pages of a uh, product manual, right? And so we we just use it and we wing it along the functionality that we, we um, are going to use. And that's how we are living our lives. We are just um, winging our lives based on the fact that um, we have a basic understanding of how to use our operating system, but we have, we're missing out on all the functionality. What I often explain to people is that um, we should be thinking of our bodies as an avatar, and it's a vehicle to navigate this planet, okay? And the reason why is that to see an object, for example, if you take any object around your where you're in whichever room and the people who are obviously watching the podcast, just look at a random object in the um, the area that you're you're in. 
Um, that takes you between a thousandth and three nanoseconds to see that object, which means that you're not experiencing life in a real-time um, perspective. You're actually seeing it in delay. So if we're seeing everything in delay and not real time, meaning when something happens, something else is happening, you're seeing it as a delay process. The, the information is sent through to a structure in the brain called the thalamus. And the thalamus then sends it to relevant parts of the brain to process. And it then looks for um, objects from your past um, as a past network in order to reference a, a specific object, the one that you're seeing in your room. And then it puts the two, correlates them together and says, oh, this must be one of these because I've seen one of these before and I learned the word of what it's called. It's called a cup. Oh, yes, that's the, the thing. So the brain does this as a part of a prediction. And so when we start realizing that we are not this avatar and the person that we look at in the mirror is only a reflection based on light and a prediction based on what we, we've come to perceive as ourselves, we can start taking a little bit of a, a detached view of our lives and the process of what it is that we want because we are not that person um, that we think we are. I always say to people, for example, what's the first thing that you see when you wake up in the morning? What would be yours? The first thing that I see, uh, well, it would be my wife or there's a lamp by the window. And if I, after about three seconds, it's probably my phone. There we go. So, so depending on which direction you wake up, though, you, you wake up and you see the ceiling. And for one split second, you are no one in no time, in no way. And you have no understanding of who you are and where you, how you got to be there until you, go, you sort of check in with your body and you go, oh, there's that knee injury and oh, there's that backache. Oh yeah, now it's coming back to me. Now I know who I am and you know, and now, oh, it's the shoulder. There we go. For me, yeah, yeah. yeah. Shoulder injury. <laughs> and until you feel those responses, you don't really remember. So it means that the avatar is actually just the vehicle that we're using, but we we're navigating this planet. We don't even know how to use our vehicle and um, and how to work it properly to get the best out of what we want in our life. And that's where it becomes challenging. And so I teach people how to learn to learn more about their bodies um, and to um, hack their brain and um, the the thoughts that they use by doing some simple, simple processes. So that's interesting. One, I should have revealed to you that I'm a side sleeper, so I don't get the ceiling. So that's why. Well, I was. Uh, that's part of that. <laughs> when you sent the lamp, I knew you were a side sleeper straight yeah. away. <laughs> and wife, even. I mean, it depends on which way I'm yeah, in the middle of the night, exactly. rolling, so it's left or right. So, <laughs> no, but that's that's interesting. So, one thing I want to dig into, and there's, there's a lot there. I appreciate you sharing all of that. But um, you talk about this learning process, right? And so, oftentimes, and you know this as a dad, like our first lens that we see the world through is, is through our parents and through our families, you know, and you would kind of reference our first love. That's true. That's true. Our first, and, and what is love and how to love and all the rules are laid out that way, which is why those family relationships are so important. I'm interested in yours because you kind of, you kind of glazed over some of that, like, Hey, I fell into this like sex, drugs and rock and roll kind of lifestyle. I was trapped in my ego. I was kind of like off track in terms of which way I was headed. And I'm wondering about your early learning, your early environments, um, you know, how, you were brought up and how those early messages kind of got in that, that led you astray. Like, what was that process like? 
Yeah, I mean, my um, so I mean, I was um, living with my mother, um, who was a single mom raising me on her own um, in South Africa. Um, family support system was all in England, but she kind of like separated from them. So it was, you know, we we, we would start off with a, a cooked meal on Sunday, and that meal would last us the whole week. It would just be redressed in different ways, kind of stuff. And my mother was a functioning alcoholic, um, and a beautiful, beautiful person. Um, but stuck in her own misery of, uh, you know, depression from uh, my father leaving that kind of story. And then um, my father came back, he was remarried with another woman. And there was always a feeling of uncertainty for me, because if I went to that house, I would never felt like it was my home. And then at one day, or when my mom, my mother had met another man, um, I was sexually abused by him and physically abused by him. And so I had this total, um, you know, anxious insecurity feeling between these two homes, because on both sides, I wasn't really feeling ever welcome. And I had to work through that through my whole life. And, you know, I went from being bullied at school to being the bullier, um, to then being uh, the, the uh, other side, which was uh, becoming the cool kid, but without any of that kind of, uh, uh, you know, the, the dynamics in it, and um, because I changed um, schools so many times. And then from there, I excelled, I, I was class captain every year, I was, a, um, I uh, was did great at school, and I didn't even really attend many of the classes. Um, <laughs> and I played, I captained my province in hockey, I got a scholarship to two different, uh, uh, to high school, and then to, got a scholarship to university. And then from university, I very simply went, um, I was meant to go to university. I took a year off and I went and traveled Europe for a year. And um, I started uh, getting into drugs, sex and rock and roll there because I wasn't under the microscope of my parents who had their own rubbish to go on. And um, I kind of let, let loose. And then from there, came back to study at the university and I messed up my, uh, my uh, scholarship. Um, and my first entrepreneurial business was dealing drugs um, and stealing cars, you know what I mean? And so that was that was my process of that. But deep inside of me, I always knew that it wasn't who I wanted to be. And one day I woke up and I was getting so good at, um, uh, you know, distribution of uh, illegal uh, substances that um, one of my friends who was in the police who said to me, listen, you got to get out, man, you're going to go, you're going to go down soon. And so I was in a, a struggle because I knew everything. So I couldn't just walk. And not that I, I, yeah, it's just one of those liability kind of things. And anyway, so, you know, uh, reaching out, having in my last line of cocaine, I decided that, uh, you know, is there a God? Is there something out there? Is there anything that can bring me back to, to this without anybody getting hurt? Because I just, I'm not a person who's ever hurt people um, in that kind of way. You know what I mean? Well, you were hurt, you were hurt, right? So the idea of hurting others was probably pretty um, uncomfortable for you, right? Yeah, exactly. And and through all this, I I always felt there was a purpose of of what I was meant to be. And then anyway, so um, I then uh, seven days later, the big boys called me in and told me I have to leave because I was just too hot, getting too hot, if they call if we can call it that. Then seven days after that. Um, I walked into starting my uh, my second business, if we can call it that, my real first business. But um, one of my friends, uh, some friends owned a big club. And because I knew everybody and I was so well known in the, the industry, they wanted me to 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 start a business with them. And um, I eventually ended up um, 
taking over all their shares. And that was my first uh, business. We're called Clubber's Guide back um, back in the day. Um, I, and it was a pool, full-time party job. It was excellent. I was going to say, it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, it's an interesting <laughs> environment to get away from the, the drug life, right? Because you're sort of like just on the other side of it. So it's an interesting escape plan. Yeah. And, and I mean, you see, the, 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 the thing is that when we're stuck in those cycles, it's in we are, from a neural pathway perspective, we are training ourselves ongoingly to see our perspective, which means that, you know, for anybody who's out there in their own struggles, um, struggling with whether they're in a gang or whether they're in, uh, in um, you know, struggles with drugs or whatever it might be, is that, um, when you start it, you create pathways in the brain to start seeing your perspective of your life in that direction. And so anything away from that means that it's not part of your current program. And that's what makes it incredibly difficult to change because of the fact that your, your perception points becomes because we are what energy goes uh, where uh, where focus flows or sorry where focus is energy flows and so wherever your focus is if you're focused on drugs or if you're focused on uh, gang life or you're not going to um, necessarily see anything else because the the jump is too far for you because you you have nobody else only you you are responsible for your own perception and your own viewpoint Regardless of the fact that um, I had stuff that was happened to me in my process of my upbringing, that's my parents' responsibility in terms of making their children feel safe. Okay, but it doesn't matter. It's brought me to the point who I, where I am today to be able to share these messages with people that you're not alone, and that it's it's important to be able to connect with people like myself and go oh my God, there's others and they can talk about it so freely. And how, how is that? And, you know, it's, it's the, the, the theory. Uh, I mean, when I was uh, 18, for example, I actually met up with the guy who sexually abused me. I was in uh, London at that stage and I was working as a waiter. He found out I was there and um, uh, he came, I said to him, come, let's have some lunch. My, meanwhile, I was going to, you know, work the guy over a bit because, you know, now I was six foot and um, a built and big. I wasn't five to ten anymore. And um, I was looking forward to giving him a big surprise. And anyway, he sat down with me to have lunch and things like that. And I said to him, you know, what you did when I was between five and ten, you sexually abused me and it was wrong. And he obviously, uh, oh, I don't know what you're talking about and this, that, and the other. And then I re-raised it. And at, at that moment, I freed myself from all the pain and, and stuff that I'd been carrying for so many years because of the fact that I had got it off my chest by facing my accuser. And at that moment, I stood up and I walked away free. I, was, I cre created my own healing point, for example, in that moment. So that's interesting because I think that's a that's a common, I don't even want to say fantasy, but that's a kind of a common thought for people who have endured physical abuse or sexual abuse, you know, any kind of trauma. 
this concept of even in the score or the final resolution or they'll use the term closure. I'm going to get closure on this, right? And uh, it's sort of the uh, intense version of the argument in the shower, right? I'm going to say and then they're going to say and you play it out in your head, <laughs> right? And then I'm going to do this and you probably thought and then I'm going to hit him with that and I'm going to kick him like, the, you know, you probably had some other thoughts too, right? But it sounds like in that moment that there wasn't a lot of closure or relief offered from your victimizer. That relief came from within from you exactly so was that a struggle or is that just sort of like an epiphany moment where like okay this guy's not giving me what i had hoped but i still found this freedom was that a conscious choice or was that just an experience that happened organically no it was an experience that happened organically and i can tell you why from my my, my research and studies of similar things is um it's called the ironic rebound effect and the brain we ruminate over things that we cannot solve. Okay, so if we look at ourselves as human beings, as an advanced, I mean, this this machinery is an advanced piece of technology. And we are trying to solve all the challenges that we have because we are designed to evolve. And we're designed to, uh, designed to uh, as a process of evolution, um, to evolve and survive as our primal instinct. So when we come across challenges, we keep them as a, a problem that needs to be solved. And when we don't solve them, the brain keeps bringing it back up the whole time. And the more we try and suppress the thought, the harder and stronger it comes back. And that's the problem. So that's why um, when they talk about um, a lot of um, psychology and things like that, talks about the process of acceptance, I feel um, it, that it needs to sometimes be a little bit more explained because acceptance, what does that mean? How do, how do I just accept something that somebody did to me or all those kind of things? And, and that makes it uh, very difficult in a a puzzle trying to accept something. And so the way to rather look at it is that everything comes up and the, everything through your life, you program into your subconscious because your brain is trying to create um, automation. And it does this because we have huge amounts of data that we are trying to perceive that we can't um, actually uh, process. We've got, I mean, there's different numbers out there, but I mean, one of them is like, it's, I, think, I think it's about 400 billion bits of data that our senses are exposed to in one second. And we can only process about 2000 of those bits per second. So our brain needs to um, uh, try and predict, become predictive by using past memories and emotions. Um, and then it's also trying to uh, save energy because uh, it's for the brain, it's the, it consumes 25% of our energy and it's the smallest organ, but consumes the most amount of energy. And it wants to try and automate so that it can um, evolve um, and use other functionality instead of just keeping you at the same level, trying to do the same things all the time for repetition. And because if we're using our prefrontal cortex, which is a structure just um, above the eyebrows, it takes up huge amounts of energy. So the brain will rather try and switch it onto this energy saving mode. So if we go back to the idea of um, trauma and things that we won't let go of because we can't accept them, all the brain is going to do is keep reminding you of what it is. And they, as I said, you check it out, you um, um, Google it, Ironic Rebound Effect um, by Daniel Klegman and, uh, sorry, Daniel Wegma, uh, Wagner. And the... Um, this rumination effect keeps coming back and back and back and it comes back stronger and stronger. And that's why it makes it so difficult for us to move on 
But if we get to a place that we can, and you can do this using um, uh, skill techniques like meditation is one of them, and I'm sure we'll discuss it later um, at some part in the show. But um, meditation is a good point to learning how to connect with your body, your mind, and everything that it is that who you are, and learning to accept things that have happened in the past because in every single moment of now they don't exist and that is a very big moving forward and jump for people sometimes to understanding they don't exist but the more you hear it and the more you practice it the more you realize that it doesn't exist anymore and as soon as you that one moment of just letting go and going you know what i'm okay i'm here now i'm alive I can breathe. I have this beautiful surrounding around me. And even if you don't, you can change your environment. You can change the, your relationship with everything. And then on that one moment, poof, your body releases it, your mind releases it. And that process of acceptance um, then starts to free you from all the burdens. So going back to the point um, of that moment when I was conf confronting and yes, having all those thoughts about what I was going to do, left hook, right hook, um, uppercut, um, you know, uh, it just fell away. Because in that moment, I found the peace that I needed because that's what we need is the peace. And that acceptance just took off all that weight off my shoulders. And that moment I left and I said, don't ever do it to anybody else. Otherwise, I'm going to come for you too. What's interesting to me when I hear your story, one is... Um... I don't even know if the right word is is bravery or, or or courage, and because I think people have that conversation, and then don't even seek those opportunities for closure, right? Like they don't get to that confrontation piece, and we're not trying to start fights or feed confrontation. But even if it's confronting it in your thoughts, you know, we do like a lot of empty chair work or writing letters to your abuser, and then you read them aloud, and you you can burn the letters as a releasing thing or tie yeah. them to a balloon, things like that. That's part of the acceptance technique, right? Yeah, absolutely, to facilitate that. But what I what I hear in your story is is interesting. It's almost like there's been these two paths for a really long time in your life. Like when you described your mother, um, I really thought it was lovely when you said she was a beautiful person, um, but she was also an, an alcoholic, right? And so that's something that sometimes people don't think those two things can exist at the same time. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're an addict, you're an alcoholic, you're morally bad, or you're weak, or you've ruined your life, or whatever. Like, no, you can be a beautiful person, um, but have this issue and have this struggle. You know, I see somebody who, captain of the hockey team, also eventually going to run, you know, a drug ring at some point, you know. Um, I see this guy who's a, who's a good student but not studying, you know. So it seemed like there were all these, these two paths, you know, even to the point where you described the decision with your daughter. You know, you said, hey, it's sex, drugs, and rock and roll, but you and your partner sit down and, and plan a child in the midst of that. You're like, yes, in three years, and then boom, three years later it happened. So, I mean, have you felt that? Like where there's almost like, I don't. I mean, there's an infinite num infinite number of yous, but in actuality, it feels like there's been these two potential yous, right? The the achiever, the organized person, the leader, and then there's this other guy who's sort of lost, and it's like they, you've kind of toggled back and forth between the two. So I don't know. Have you felt that? And if so, how did you how did you get to a place where you made that choice to invest in one version over the other? That's a a, a very good question. Um, so we're a nurturing species. 
which means I work off uh, um, what I call the three sevens. There's a beautiful story around the three sevens, uh, the key to 21. I don't know if you have it in the American culture, but... No, tell us. Yeah. In, in the English culture, you get a key when you turn 21. And a friend of mine told me about um, 10 years ago, he told me, do you know why you get the key to 21? You know, this is like your pop, your your gift from your parents to say, go on, that the life is yours now. We've done now everything that you need to do, right? And, and, it, and it worked out beautifully because I understood it was that the first zero to seven years, and I've ex- it's understood it through my own process of raising my own child, of course. And the first zero to seven years are the nurturing years. This is where parents um, need to understand that the process of nurturing is itself, uh, it's not self-serving, it's serving another person um, 150%. If you want a child and you're going to be responsible to make that decision, that's okay. Whether you're having it single and on your own or whether you're doing it with in, in, a, in a marriage or whatever that your story is, it's your life. You choose what you want. But if you're going to take on the responsibility of bringing up a child, your first zero to seven years are the, uh, are the most important. Because the when you are the primary carer, you've got a synchronization happening, which is right eye to right eye, that your child and you are, your child learns how to self-regulate off you. And our children mimic us all the time. They are our mirrors. My daughter is my greatest mirror and my greatest teacher. And in this nurturing process from zero to seven, if we look at my parents, they weren't present. And not being present meant that that left that whole um, possibility of um, being anxious and uh, detached, you know, to to also, you know, them wanting to have me to be the best that I can. And, you know, well done, son, you did well at this, but um, next time you can do a little bit better. So there was always this goalpost moving and these, these kind of splits between me the whole time as you're uh, going back to your version of it, right? And then from seven to 14, so zero to seven is the nurturing years. Seven to 14 is the discipline years. This is where you teach your children um, about being disciplined to making the right choices for yourself. And then 14 to 21 is the uh, friendship years. Because if you haven't done your job in the first seven years and you haven't done them from the seven to 14, I promise you, you can't parent your child anymore because at 14, they're they're already moving on. So now it's the time to learn to not be the parent, but be there as the support, the guide, the loving, caring um, friend slash parent support system that your child knows that they're you're always there for them. You've got their back kind of vibe. And that's when uh, from 14 to 21, you build, build the, the, uh, the friendship. And then 21, you you release them from 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 the process, right? And so that that's the, that's the ongoing. So during those phases, I was always living a double side because I had one which was the expectations of parents, and um, you know, to be the uh, like a, a golden boy is the wrong word, but I'm just but I'm saying you know to be this good student this uh, class captain, this uh, hockey captain, you know, one that they can talk around the barbecue with and uh, talk to other parents and go, oh, your son is doing so well and that kind of stuff. But I had this very dark side in me because I had the dark side of 
of being abused um, sexually and physically and keeping it quiet to protect my mother because she was struggling with her own anxious anxiety and uh, depression and things like that and keeping it away from the family and the friends and all the other stuff because that wouldn't fit into the model of the perfect parent if anybody knew what um, what I was kind of going through. And so that dark side was always kind of lingering there. And when I left um, school and got to be free from all of that, because I was nobody in a big, um, you know, in London, uh, nobody knew me there and I could really let loose. And um, and that's kind of where the, where the wheels and my own self-discovery started because I was no longer under the microphone. Oh, sorry, the the magnifying glass of, um, of of my parents to be something or someone. Now, fast forward that to my daughter. I've always known inside of me that I have a bigger purpose, and I think we all know inside of us we have a bigger purpose. Um, the the biggest thing that we all fear is the unknown. We, if we take every single human being, we all fear the dark. And somebody says, well, I'm not scared of the dark. I said, well, if I stick you in Africa and I put you in a tent and you hear lions around, I promise you, you're going to hear, be scared of the dark. So it's the unknown. That's why when we go into the swimming pool, we always think that Jaws is suddenly going to appear out of nowhere. I mean, it's always there. You know, the, when are the violins going to suddenly come out? Was there violins or the, uh, <laughs> not the violins? Absolutely. Even you know, a lake. Cellos or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> we have a bunch of lakes up here. I feel that even in a lake. We're like floating in a lake and I'm, I'm looking, I'm looking for the fin to pop up. Yeah, no, I felt that. And, and so it's the unknown that we're scared of. So this fear is what um, holds us as humans back from living our, our uh, biggest and greatest lives. But we all have some sort of purpose inside of us. So we have, uh, traditionally, we used to have fears of lions, tigers, and bears. Oh, my. I mean, you still do in the, in the countryside, right? Bears and everything. You don't oh, want big to come time. across it. Bears and moose and all kinds of creatures, yeah. But, but when you live in the city, you know, we still have an operating system that tells us lions and tigers and bears. Oh, my. Oh, but now it's Facebook. And now it's somebody's post about me. And oh, what does my work colleague think about my dress? Because I thought they were uh, um, making a, a, a comment that I didn't like. And so I'll change of of this has created this this fear inside of us that we're still feeding which is actually it becomes addictive in a way because we we get uh, caught up on this fear and so my daughter was um everything that i'd gone through because there's more to, along that journey um that i went through and it was a point in time that everything just collided it was for me, um, the universe, um, it was my awakening. And in that one moment, I realized what I was meant to be doing. And that was to serve my daughter, who was then my gift, because I'm sure I'd be dead by now, um, who was my gift from the universe to understanding and appreciating this life. Because I don't think we really appreciate it. Sure, you have your bills and you have your your problems and and you have your abuse and you have your trauma and you have your friends and you have their emails and you have Facebook and you have the Instagram posts that you don't like and the opinions of people, whether somebody is a, a color or a not a color or if they're a gender or not a gender or they don't want to be any gender or whatever it might be, right? We've got stuff. And when we hold a child who 
is just unprogrammed, just pure pureness. And in that moment, you take a breath and you realize that what the hell are you doing? What is our actual purpose here on life? And what is that to do? And that was my pivoting point to trying to find out about myself um, in my own spiritual context. And so religion is, is uh, something personal to every single person. Whatever you want to believe in, believe in it. Don't worry about arguing with somebody else about what they believe in. You just believe in what you believe in. But spiritualism is about your connection to yourself. It's your connection to the environment around you and the cosmos and everything there is because we are all one. When I first went into that spiritual concept of what we are all one, and uh, I like the yogis versions of it and things, they, they were always talking about it and I couldn't really understand. How can we all be one? That just doesn't make sense. But then obviously, if you go into the quantum physics and the, the, the sciences of it, if you think about between you and I, you're in, the, you're in Canada and... Um, well, I might as well be. I'm in New England in the United States, but it might New as well, England, be, sorry, might as well be Canada. No, it looks exactly the yeah. same. So, yeah. <laughs> but, but you could be anywhere in the world, right? <laughs> For sure. Um, you know, and so there's space between us. Technically, you're in a totally different country, different place. There's space between us. But if we look at, an, um, uh, you know, energy, uh, atoms are made up of energy. And so everything is made up of subparticles. And the subparticles are... Um, infinite energy operating at a vibrational, okay? Slow vibrational energy is something that's hard and something you can touch, something physical. Fast vibrational energy is something that you can't. It's out of our spectrum. And so air is fast vibrational energy. It's molecules. It's Which means that we are connected absolutely to everything. While we can't feel it physically on our skin, we are connected to everything. And that is where the concept of being connected to everything is. And so... In that moment of of clarity with my daughter and my pivoting um, uh, towards myself, I then started my inward journey to learning about myself. And and learning about yourself uh, gives you what I call the one degree rule. And the one degree rule is a, a term I heard, um, and it's beautiful. If you're to fly from New York to London and you are one degree off course, you're going to end up in a different place. So the one degree rule is very simply is that every single day, if you spend two minutes to five minutes just learning something about how you think or how your body works or anything, it doesn't matter, but something that is positive, that enriches your being, every single day, if you do it like just every single day, you'll eventually end up in what they call the one degree rule, which is that you will be in a different place in your life and you will grow as an individual. You wake up one day and you go, oh, I'm, I'm not that person anymore. And so if we think of um, uh, Newton's uh, laws of physics, right? Um, in front of you, there's a uh, your mug. Your mug is held there in a stationary position, okay? It's, n- it's not, your mug isn't just lying there um, on its own. It's held there by forces that are holding it there to hold it in that stationary position. So um, to change or to be... Um, or to move in life to change yourself, you need um, energy and motion um, and emotion, which means that you need to create enough energy to um, with forces that are greater than or equal to the force that is holding that mug in the, that um, central place. You need a force that is greater than that to move it. And when you create an emotion in your own life that is greater than your current position, you stop feeling stuck. 
And so by learning about yourself every single day, you create this knowledge. And that knowledge is the process of educating yourself to move out of that stuck feeling. And this is how I then ended up in a totally different place. And then my my daughter's uh, mother was still wanting to continue her life in that uh, world. And we bless her and we hope that she finds herself love one day and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, beautiful person as well. I have a beautiful child from her. And then I decided to raise my child on my own, which took me forward on on my journey doing that. And as I've been raising her on my own for seven years now. Before we go on, I want to say a few words about a new behavioral health. A new behavioral health is an outpatient provider of mental health and substance abuse services in Ohio and New Hampshire. That means that a new can successfully treat mental health and substance abuse issues or dual diagnosis if you're struggling with both. Their integrated approach allows for them to successfully address issues related to anxiety, depression, addiction, trauma, and really anything that stands between your life and the life you could be living. You really cannot bring them an issue that they have not successfully treated. They have also solved one of the biggest problems for people seeking help. They have a dedicated team waiting to hear from you at helpnow at anewbh.com. If you contact them today, within 24 hours, you will have heard back from wait for this, a real live person, and we'll also have your first appointment scheduled at that time. So how do you contact them? Well, if you're in Ohio or New Hampshire, you're probably close to one of their local locations. You're welcome to go in. If not, you can always reach them online at anewbh.com. And if you're interested in services for you or loved one, use that address, helpnow at anewbh.com. When you talk about overcoming that inertia, essentially, right? Like you said, you need a, a counteracting force that is, is greater than the forces that are holding you in place. I think that's, that's amazing. I, I'm a, I connected that on a couple levels. One, I worked with addicts for a long time, and they talk about hitting bottom. So that feels like one of those opportunities where the lights come on and you go, this is going to be something that propels me out of this rut and it's going to push me in a different direction. But you have to maintain that, right? So I've had the experience that you've had with children watching them be born and your heart just explodes and the world is a different place immediately. I've also had that experience as a therapist working with people, you know, for years and years and years and then they just change. Right. Like, so you try all the techniques and it's back in the rut and it's stuck. And then, but you know, there's some, there was a study on it. There's something crazy, like over 25% of, you know, significant life change is spontaneous. Um, now we, we don't know, we know it's not actually spontaneous. We know that we can't identify, you know, all the steps along the way, but it just, it looks spontaneous because there's not a thing we could anchor it to, not an intervention. But that was always amazing to me because those are the things that propel us forward. But then you have to invest in that new version of self. You have to invest in that new life to kind of maintain. So I'm curious because, you know, in your story, I don't hear a lot of, I spent three years on the couch in therapy. I don't hear a lot of uh, sort of traditional methods. I don't hear a lot of, well, I got this magic pill from my psychiatrist and all of a sudden everything changed. So you've had these moments of awakening, these moments of acceptance. What did you do following that? And what do you do, continue to do to kind of invest in that new version of self to keep your progress going forward? Like how do you behave and act and what decisions do you make to support that change? You know, we, we, we go to people like myself and go, right, I'm going to go to a life transformational mentor. Or I'm going to go to um, a, a coach or I'm going to go to a psychiatrist or whatever it might be, right? 
and he's going to fix me or she's going to fix me. And the thing is that it's not true because change and you are the one who makes the decision to change yourself. Somebody else cannot fix you. It's impossible. Okay. And that's why we are only conduits. And that's why you've got to find the conduit that makes the most sense for you because there's so much data out there. And during that learning process of finding what works for you, you are constantly educating yourself too, you see. And you don't even realize it that along that journey of reading all these books of philosophy or, you know, following a Tony Robbins or myself or a, or a Sadhguru or yourself or whatever it might be, they, we are just the conduits. And we allow, um, we give information in a way that we think that you'll be able to use in order to unlock your stuff. But there's also another thing which I call um, the bird in the cage, right? And that's where you got a bird in a cage and the bird goes, I want freedom, I want freedom. And you, you open the cage and say, right, there we go. And the bird doesn't want to leave. And the reason why the bird doesn't want to leave, it's so secure and safe within its own misery that it doesn't want to go. And if we think about people stuck in uh, abusive relationships, we're talking about people in marriages that they don't want to be in. We talk about people within their own rubbish because they're so uh, you know, so caught into the ego of, you know, I have that thing. I was abused when I was a kid and I, I have this and I was, I was that. And that's their story because without it, they have no story. And, and there's no wanting to create a new chapter because they're scared. It's the fear of the unknown. And it's their identity. That has become and their, their identity. identity. Yeah. yeah, that's how they identify. We have that, uh, we have that phenomenon. Sorry to interrupt, but I, I want to touch on this um, with prisoners, people who are in jail. And you think about any situation you want to get out of, prison would be the place you would want to get out of. But we see this phenomenon of instant recidivism where they get out in the world uh, it's overwhelming, right? And as horrible as prison is, they know how that works. They've become accustomed to that level or version of chaos. And so they'll commit crimes intentionally to... Just to get back in. To go back. So it's exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. No, exactly. I mean, that's that's for me is why the um, I, I don't believe the prison system is is effective personally because it, it's just um, forging new, the same neural pathways and... Um, repeating it over and over again. It's not really doing anything that's positive um, and trying to punish somebody. Sure, I understand that people do things, but we've all done those things. We've all done things that we don't, um, it, just in different levels. But what's your level better than somebody else's level? We've all, we're all guilty some way, form. Well, I don't, I don't think the prison system, and I'm, I'm not an expert, but I had an internship in a prison system that had actually undergone um, riots. It's on Netflix right now. It's a Lucasville prison. So I grew up in Ohio, and I had an internship there when I was getting my degree, and I was on the inside, not during the riot, thank God, because it lasted for seven days and many people died. But my take on the prison system is, is other than verbally, I don't really see a lot of intention to actually rehabilitate anybody. You know, you, you can't get college degrees in most places. A lot of it is just free labor, right? Uh, corporations are benefiting off of the labor, paying these prisoners 10 cents a day towards their commissary or whatever the case may be. Uh, there's not a lot of development. And without the development, you're guaranteeing stagnation. And if you stagnate somebody for a year or 10 years or 20 years and then release them, Oh, geez. Yeah. <laughs> what are you, what are you expecting? Right. Exactly. Right. Rocket scientists all of a sudden. Well, the politicians <laughs> will pound the table and talk about rehabilitation. One that assumes that the folks there have been habilitated to begin with, right? You think about the background, a lot of these folks, the idea that they were sort of like 
in a perfect situation and then just made some mistakes. No, no, we need to talk about habilitation. There's not a lot of rehabilitation to begin with. Uh, so we got to get these people back to square one before we even think about that. And then other than you saying it, what shows me that you're interested in developing these folks? It's a whole generation of lost and forgotten individuals that there's not a lot of investment in their future, right? It's a big timeout. Um, and then what you have to do to survive and thrive in a prison setting is not useful in the day-to-day world, right? It's the opposite. You know. It's not a one-on-one on life skills. It's a one-on-one on life. On survival, right? On survival skills, right? And vice versa. What, what we have de- developed out here would not be particularly useful behind the walls. So we could do a whole other episode on that. But I just I, I cry for those folks because, yes, punishment, consequences, it has to be there. I actually think a lot of these things need to be longer and tougher. But during that time, what are the rehabilitative efforts that are actually taking place? We're talking about your journey. There were a lot of things that you had to do to help yourself progress and work through that journey. It wasn't like you read a book, closed it, and you were cured, whatever that means, right? It just was a start, you know? So, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that... um, so just to continue a little bit with my story. Um, so when um, my daughter turned six, and um, are we allowed to swear on the show, by the way? I do it constantly. Ian cringes every time. He's got to put the little E on the videos. But to hell with it. Life is messy, damn it. And we're going to cuss, Ian. It's going to happen. So. Yeah. No, it's just because it's part of the story. So when my daughter was six, um, she, she came to me and she said to me, Dad, let's start vlogging. And I'm like, I'm like, what the fuck do you know about vlogging? You're six. And she's like, dad, please, your swear words. And, you know, I was still a little bit rough around the edges at that stage. And and she said, I said, oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, I said, what do you, but I was like shocked, you know what I mean? What does a six-year-old know about vlogging, right? And so. um, More than us, usually, you know. Yeah, so she said to me, no, we'll we'll start doing um, uh, vlogs about yours and my um, life together so we can help other parents. Amazing. And I'm like, my God, you are my greatest teacher. Because again, in that one moment, I then realized that my, my purpose, because I'd found so much happiness from serving another person, not serving myself, I'd realized that I'm extremely happy to help people. And I'd already started helping people, but not in a professional career of coaching and things like that and transformational mentoring. Um, Just from all the knowledge and stuff, um, you know, throughout my life, I'd been mentoring or coaching somebody in some sort of way or form. But in that one moment of time, again, the the universe popped it open again and uh, said to me, this is what I'm meant to be doing. And that's when I realized that this is this is my gift. And because I've gone through so much in my life to get to this point where I've, I've pretty much experienced both sides of a coin for every single person in every single scenario, while the... Um, while the uh, the look of it or the taste of it might be different, the actual um, experience is uh, very similar in terms of it, its its underlying format, right? And so I'd experienced so many of these uh, dualities of things throughout my life um, that I realized that that was my calling. And when I got there, I am to that moment, I realized that that's what I wanted to do was to go out and help people. And that's how I started the journey. And so then I started having a look at all my, my, what had 
got me through everything from being a drug addict, living on the street for, for a time to making a whole bunch of money and not knowing how to, what to do with it and losing it all, making a whole bunch of money and losing less and doing that a couple of times over until I, I got better at it. Right. You know what I mean? And I looked at it all and I said, what was it that made me get to where I am now? And it's something I, I'm sharing with everybody I can because it's this very simple process. And you'll see, you'll see the thread from our conversations of, of how it all kind of comes in. And I call it the three R's. Reset, refocus, and repeat. And how that works is when you wake up in the morning, guess what? You are nobody in no place and no time. You are just the awareness of yourself before you kick into your habitual program, which is to pick up your cell phone, look at your message and go, oh, there's my Facebook profile. That's me. That's me. Before you you get up and go and make your coffee, before you do all the things that make you, 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 you reset. And reset means that you, um, um, I use a modality of meditation. There's different ways that you can do it, but I'm going to give you the simplest way for this, for those who are listening to this that are struggling with whatever they are struggling with, whether it be anxiety, trauma, uh, drug addiction, you name it. This is my go-to for you, okay, is the three R's. You wake up in the morning, and that one window and that small moment of time that you have in that time to reset your mind. Okay, you need to go and sit down somewhere, whether you're able to sit on a meditation mat or in a chair, but go and take yourself out of your environment, your normal environment. I'm not saying that you can't go to a room in somewhere in your house or something like that, but I'm saying don't do it in your bedroom or, or any of these kind of things that are immediate to you recognizing who you are. You're still half asleep. Go and you need to make time for this. This is this is the most important part. And you just follow my trend of my conversation or the track of or trail of my conversation. You understand why now. And resetting means you go and you sit somewhere and you close your eyes. Now, the reason why you're sitting is because we have gravity and you don't want to be falling over. Okay. Because otherwise you're going to be hurting yourself. And uh, that's a whole new thing to add to it. Right. You're closing your eyes because um, we think um, 40 to 80,000 thoughts um, in a day as a human um, species. 40 to 80,000 thoughts a day is a lot of thoughts. And 95, 90 to 95% of our thoughts are negative. Now, the reason why they're negative is we have what they call a negative bias. And the reason why is for survival. Because we're not sitting around looking for um, like, oh, all the cool things. We're going, our system, our primal nature is designed to survive, which means that we are looking at everything in a for looking for threats. And so our, by having our eyes open, our eyes are visually processing things for threats all the time. We don't even realize it. Okay. So by closing your eyes, you're shutting off that's, um, that stimuli in terms of trying to process um, threats. And so now you've got your eyes closed. Now what happens is your ears become highly aware of everything around because it's now looking for threats. That's why your, 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 your hearing becomes so supersonic in some sort of way or superhuman in this kind of uh, environment. And that's why you are, you are, if you have an opportunity to go to um, a Buddhist monk uh, temple or something like that, it's not like you have one in your back garden, right? But um you would go to a place where you can, there's no um, 
distraction of noise or um, ongoing um, noise that will create a heightened sense of awareness that your brain is trying to look for perceived threats. And because you need to do it first thing in the morning and you need to do as soon as you get out of bed, you need to rather take headphones and put in white noise. And what white noise does is it settles down your um, autonomic nervous system to get it to calm down. Why? Because you're listening to um, white noise and eventually goes, hmm, there's no threats happening here. I think we can relax a bit. And then it starts settling your breath because now you're not looking for perceived danger and threats and the autonomic nervous system can now start calming your your self down. And this is a process of self-regulation. And by learning this, you learn to tap into your body because you start looking at your breath and things like that. But that's a another part of a conversation. But in terms of the reset, you're then in that moment realizing that you are not the person you were yesterday. And here's a fact for you. Physiologically, you're not the person that you were every second because you produce a million cells every second. So if you want to argue, well, I was that person because I have that bill and I have that uh, trauma, uh, trauma and I have this, I'm sorry, it's not true. Because from a physiological uh, perspective, every single second you are producing a million cells. So you're not that person which means that the trauma that you had that you're still carrying around with you or the the anger or whatever it might be that you're still carrying around with you is from a past time. And in this one moment, you might have woken up with thoughts um, that of thoughts that you didn't want or thoughts that are, are, are ruminating um, about yourself or about someone else. But when you go and sit in that moment of reset, it's about bringing your awareness back to yourself to realizing in that specific spot where you're sitting, it's only you. That's all there is. And when you realize that in that one moment, there's only you and only your thoughts in a room in wherever it could be, then you can just ground yourself to understanding that that's all there is in that one moment. I'm not saying another moment. But in that moment, and when you bring yourself and your awareness into one moment, you can just realize that you have this moment to reset. And that is to go forward with everything that you are in the rest of your day from this anchor point as a reset. Then next comes the refocus, the second R of the three R's. Now, refocusing is about training your neural pathways to see and experience what it is that you want for yourself in your life. This means that you create thoughts, you can write them down, you can do whatever it is, you can create a vision board, whatever it might be that you can remind yourself before you do the, the um, this process. And you then create thoughts that you want to think by refocusing on them. That means you say, well, I want to be this, but you don't even use the word I want. I am this because I want will never have. But you say, I am this. I'm a great person. I'm a loving person. I'm a caring person. I am successful. I am happy. And I am refocusing myself in this particular moment in time to seeing what it is that I want. And what you're doing is you're creating a perception point. There was a, a study in um, uh, 1994 in Harvard. I mean, there's many studies like this, but this is one that I love where they had um, piano. Uh, they, they took three groups. And the first group, um, they had people play a piano 
um, for two hours a day, they learned a five finger piece, um, five finger uh, note sequence for two hours for five days. And they mapped their neural pathways and their brain activity. And then they took the second group and that second group just watched the first group playing, but they didn't actually play. Okay. So they watched the, their first group for two hours for five days. And then they took the, the third group. They weren't even there because that's called the control group, right? And so then they mapped all the different areas for the two hours, for the five days, and they mapped everybody's areas. And so the first group created new neural pathways in their brain because they learned something new. The second group I'll come to now, but the third group, they obviously didn't have any new neural pathways because they weren't even there to learn anything new. But what was amazing is that the second group created the exact same neural pathways as the first group, and they didn't even play the piano. Just by watching it and creating the thought spot, they created the exact same neural pathways as the first group. And what that means is that now in, um, all the top sports professional playing people, the most successful people in the world, for example, they visualize everything. So before um, the racing, if Formula One race car drivers, as an example, do race their tracks, they put VR headsets in and they drive that track. And they also do it without VR headsets. They actually do it with closed eyes. And they imagine going through every single corner and going through every single procedure so that they create a experience of the event before it's even happened. And by doing that, they create the neural pathways that um, have them know what it is that's going to happen. Why? Because I told you life is, uh, we're perceiving things. It's not happening on real time. We're going into uh, memories and um, accessing neural pathways in our brains to, to create the experience and to access them so that we have the knowledge because the brain wants to be lazy about it and save energy and it also wants to be predictive. So now these guys go and use this um, uh, focused um, thinking uh, process in order to win their races, to become successful, to do whatever it is that you want to do. You can do it by just creating the thought patterns that sees you already doing it. And by refocusing your thoughts to seeing you doing and being and living and acting it, eventually what happens is you start accessing those neural pathways all the time and you start killing old circuitry that has you as the addict, the trauma person, the, the person struggling with whatever it is. And this then rebuilds you into this new neural pathway and you start living and being. That's why they always say fake it till you make it. You stop being the actor in your new place because you are wiring your brain that way. And we can actually do it from just thought. And then you do the repeat, which means that every single day you do exactly the same thing because eventually you get the one degree rule. You will wake up in a different place and you open your eyes and you go, you know what? I'm not feeling traumatized anymore. And you know what? I'm okay with that stuff. I'm actually, I'm, I'm happy. And this is the go-to that I established as being the easiest route for self and life transformation for people because we spend all of our days, um, we wake up in the morning, we brush our hair, we brush our teeth, we pack our lunch, we go to work, we, and we run an automated program. But the one thing that drives our entire life is our thoughts. Yet we don't prepare our mind in the morning. How does that make sense? Right, right. It doesn't. And I, I hear the studies that you're referencing and it's just, I'm just struck by 
how how little we know. You know what I mean? Like we are just scratching the surface exactly of what this can do for and against us, you know? And it also makes me think about that concept of you see what you look for, right? It, wherever you direct your perception, it's going to appear in your reality. Um, there's a there's a, an experiment that was done. Um, uh, you've probably have seen it where they had a bunch of people um, passing a ball and there was like a, a group of them. There was like six people and they were walking in weird patterns and they were passing a ball above their head. And the goal was to count how many times they passed the ball, right? Yes. And people stared at it and they, you know, 17 times or 16 times, there was a little argument over how much they passed. But what they revealed afterwards, and, and this is true, you can look it up on YouTube, things like that. During the middle of the passing, a guy in a gorilla suit walks through the group, okay? <laughs> and he even stops halfway through in the middle of the group and like beats his chest like this. Yeah. So it's not subtle. He's not sneaking around, right? Yeah. And so they go. And no one notices. Nobody knows. They're, I mean, 80, <laughs> 85% of people have no clue what they've seen. Yeah, and so they say at the end, they go, we have two questions for you. One, how many times did they pass the ball? And two, did you see the monkey? And uh, and 90% of the people have to, like, watch the video again. And they're like, no way, it can't be true. It can't be true. And it is. And his monkey walks through. So it's just so funny because, like you said, this illusion that we are just passive receptors of all this information. No, we're prioritizing it. And we're actually deciding what to see on a regular basis and filtering so much out. Um, one thing I want to get into as we move through this, because this is amazing stuff, but I want to give you time for this concept. Can you tell me a little bit more about, I know you, you're sharing your experiences about becoming a dad, obviously very important to you. I'm a dad as well. I really connect with that. Can you tell me a little bit more about the concept of dadology and, and what that is and what goes into that? I want to make sure we make time to you know, explain that and have an understanding of, of what you're doing with that project. So um, thank you. Uh, dadology is really my shared experiences um, from a conscious thing, uh, perspective, conscious parenting perspective. Um, I've really kind of looked at the parenting uh, paradigm of um, how we've been teaching it and training it and I've, I've decided to go against a, a lot of it. Good. And, and the reason why is very simply that um, we spent so much time trying to look at the child and how to uh, um, effectively help the child to be the better child, right? But it actually starts with us. And one of, one of the concepts that I love sharing with people is that if you have a, a glass, okay, and um, I have a jug of love, and if I pour, fill up my glass, to the top and I say, here we go, but you have half of my glass and you drink half of my glass. I fill it up again and I give it to my daughter and say, yeah, you have half of my glass of love. And I keep doing this over and over again, giving people my, my glass, right? What eventually happens is that I create a perception of lack because my viewpoint will always be that somebody is taking from me and I'm always giving. But if you switch that, that so when, you know people go, well, are you a half glass of half full and a half thing? I'm like, that's a lot of rubbish. And I tell you why is because if you look at it a different way, if you take the glass, you fill it up, and you carry on pouring, what happens? A flow over. You got overflow, right? And that's surplus. Now you don't need that surplus. You can give that away to everybody. And when it comes to a place where it's just coming to the top of your glass, you go, poop, you stop, 
you self-regulate in a way that you realize that you've come to your the uh, the end of your capacity and then you withdraw in you know giving everybody the the the, the heads up and the information that listen guys I've reached my capacity. I love you guys. And I need to just go and recharge my batteries and, and recharge myself and spend some time with myself. And when you do that, you're able to come out always feeling full. And you're always able to give surplus to everybody. And and this is, as a parent, one of our, our um, the parenting problems is the fact that we lose ourselves in our kids and we just don't self-regulate. And the problem is that, you know, you say, well, I'm doing everything for my kid. The, the child mimics that because they are seeing you in the, their environment all the time. They're not mimicking, sure, they might mimic some friends and stuff at school and stuff, but they are mimicking you. When they go to school, they are mimicking you in that social environment. They are you in another environment in another time. Um, just in a different body. And so we we have a, the wrong idea of trying to fix the kids. We need to fix ourselves. And that means that we got to learn self-regulation. We've got to make time for ourselves. Um, doing my three hours um, in the morning helps us cope as a parent. And we have a structure in the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex is all used for all of our um, cognitive decisions, reasoning, that kind of stuff. Um, and it acts like a battery. And when it is depleted, we have one other program left and to run as an operating system. It's our safety mechanism. It's called our primal survival mechanism. And that is when we access our emotional and fail-safe system, which is designed for fight, flight, or freeze. And that's why we're snapping at our kids and getting angry with them is because our self-regulation of ourselves and our capacity to deal with situations is not good. And, and, and parents will say, well, how am I meant to sort it out? You have to make time for yourself. And don't do it in the evening because you're exhausted in the evening. You've got to do it in the morning. And you say, well, but I can't get up. Well, get bloody up because how can you say, you can't, you can't have two, um, you know, you can't serve two masters here. Um, and you go, well, the evening's good for me. The evening's not good for you. You're exhausted. So, you know, think about this. This is like an average day of a parent. You wake up in the morning and it's a beautiful day and you open up your cell phone and there's like, and you, oh, it's somebody on Facebook and made a comment that you didn't like, whatever. So you're kicking in, like it's starting to push you into your, your, your stress levels already. And you're like, okay, now you want our blood off. And then you get up, it's raining outside now all of a sudden and your child comes up to you in a little dress and some flip-flops or like little um, open shoes and goes, what do you think of my, um, you know, my my kit? And I'm like, no, 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 you're not going out in that. Um, it's raining outside, it's cold, go into your room and uh, change. And then so half an hour, it's a negotiation and you're taxing this prefrontal cortex, this uh, battery limited capacity. And then you're already half an hour late and you climb the car and you're driving in traffic and somebody cuts you off. And then you have to like stop yourself from ramming the bike over or jamming them into the side of the thing. You know what I mean? And um, off you go. And then you're now, whether you've got a boss or you're going to, you've got a presentation, you're late for work or whatever it is that you needed to do. Um, you know, then there's an argument or something somewhere along that because somebody else has got an opinion that's different to yours. And then you get home and now you're meant to be the best version of yourself and you walk on a Lego brick. 
And when you walk on that Lego brick, it's the last straw. That's the end of your capacity for the day and you are snapping. And now, how are you enjoying your life? How are you enjoying that wonderful parenting experience that you said that that's what you wanted for yourself? You're not. And now you're operating on an automotive program, which is, okay, kids, dinner and time for bed because I want some me time. And then you got that me time happening, but you're so exhausted that now it's, okay, I'm going to binge out on Netflix. And guess what you're doing with Netflix? You're putting data into your brain to create a neural pathway that has you think exactly like the movie. That's why you have dreams of the movie sometimes, okay? And now you wonder when you wake up the next day that suddenly you feel like Rambo or whatever show you watched the night, the night before is because you're creating the neural pathways because you are programming your subconscious. And people don't realize how sensitive our bodies are to absorbing information. They just think, oh, well, you know, I can manipulate it, I can hack it. And it's not. And that's why we, um, with the Dadology, um, which is dadology.com, um, is all about uh, looking at parenting in a different way, realizing that the effects that you do to yourself will overflow in a beautiful way at, to your child. No, and I, I love the intentionality of it as far as getting up because, I mean, I'm not much of a morning person either, but you're exactly right about how you feel at the end of the day. And when you go on autopilot, what I see more and more is they allow the kids to go on autopilot too, right? What the easiest thing in the world is to say... iPad. There you go. Yep. It's not family game time. It's not read a book together. It's not go for a walk or nature together. It's I'm going to zone out, you zone out, and then next thing you know, it's bedtime and, and here we go. And then you wonder why your child has bad behavior because of the stuff that they watched on YouTube because of, of, of somebody else's stuff. And you go, well, why are you doing that? I mean, children aren't born bad. They're born great. They're learning. Yeah, they're blank slates and they learn. They're copying your bad um, stuff. Nobody else. It's the reflection. And you outsource that development to the Instagram influencer or the TikTok influencer. And so then you wonder why this thing show up. And I also think about it. We've all been there too, where the the line to drop off the kids at school, you know, and you see some families and it, it feels like they've had the greatest day ever. Everybody's smiling and they're connected in hugs and kisses. And you always see that one or two parents, they come barreling in the minivan, like the door flies open, scattered papers fly out, a coffee cup or... Or a, a Coke can falls on the ground, the mom's <laughs> yelling, you know, and it's like, oh, this is why, you know, I told you we were going to be late and it is, I, I've, I've got things to do. And the kids sort of like, you know, will want to do a final check-in and like, uh, mommy's late for work, slam, boom, peel out, right? And you see this kid <laughs> that is like, just kind of like, how do they regroup and get on with their day, right? And we have these wonderful teachers. I mean, there's, the education system takes a lot of knocks, but there are just wonderful, caring people involved in this. And you see them come up and put their arm around the kid and try to just slow it down and calm it down because they're they're dropped off in a state. Their cortisol levels are up. You know, Their adrenal glands are firing. So I wonder how somebody learns or develops or even gets through their day at, at six years old in that environment. So you make some excellent points about intentional living and, and conscious living. Um, Brent, we're going to, we're going to have to have Brent back on another episode. I mean, this is, you've got a wealth of information, man. If you'd make time for us, I'd love to, to schedule another one. But before we part, um, there are people who are listening to this and this is kind of what we hope is that are, are, are thinking about beginning their transformation process or thinking about making their, these big changes, or maybe they've decided that they want to, but they're just sort of starting their process and their journey. Um, you shared your three R's, you shared some tips. Do you have any, you know, sort of general advice or general, um, 
you know, words of wisdom in terms of if you're wanting to begin, you know, this is the best way to get started. You know, you talk about those epiphanies and those moments of awakening. How can somebody foster that awakening? How can they create that awakening to kind of overcome those powers and those forces and just get moving on this process? The first and most important part is really wanting to. It doesn't matter. I mean, you know, I, I do one-on-one coaching with um, people. I prefer not to, to be honest. And the reason why I prefer not to is because um, there are all, uh, um, there are a certain amount of people that come to me um, expecting me to, to fix them. And I can't fix anybody because you only fix yourself. And I can only give you the keys and I can only open doors for you, but I can't walk through them for you. And so I prefer to do um, workshop type stuff because at least I can affect a bigger amount of people in change. I can at least affect, uh, you know, a 30% of of the people that attend. I can help 30% of those people. When I do, for example, one-on-one coaching um, while I still do it, um, if somebody doesn't want to change, then I'm wasting my time. I, I, it's not it's not about the money for me. It's about the time and the fact that I can make a positive change in somebody else's life during that time that that person is there. And so where I'm going to with that um, is just as examples is that you have to want to change. If you are the bird in the cage that screams freedom, freedom, freedom the whole time, but as soon as you have an opportunity to change that you won't because you're too scared, we're all scared. We all fear the dark. We all have fear of the unknown. And that's okay. And so when you get to accepting that this process is an unknown, there are three reasons why somebody usually changes. The first one is death. A death in the family or a near death. Maybe you have got to a point that you have now disease from your own stress mechanisms because we kill ourselves from the inside before we kill ourselves from the outside because of the amount of cortisol we pump into our body from fight, flight, or freeze reaction. That's where cancers and all these kind of things come from is the stuff that we poison ourselves with. And usually when we come to that kind of stage is when we start going, I need to change my life. Okay? But why wait that long? The other time is when when uh, your friends and everybody are suddenly you know all going spiritual, and so now you must you're kind of like, oh, this sounds good. Let's let's get in there. You know what I mean? And and that's the other time, right? But why wait for your friends to to do it? Because depending on the the show's social environments that you 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 um, you're in, that's not usually going to be the case. And the third one, and this is the one that is the hardest but it's the most rewarding is when you choose that you are tired of reliving the same thing and doing the same thing over and over again in fact einstein says um, insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result so my my words to somebody is that if you are getting the same result then surely there's just surely Something has to change. And so that moment of wanting something to change and wanting it enough is a force and an emotion inside of you that will pivot you from your place of being stuck 
like I used in the example of being a um, that all objects are held stationary in a stationary position with um, forces that are holding them in that position. So you're being you're held in a in a place in your life because you are stuck, because you have no greater emotion than the emotions that are keeping you there. And so if you want to pivot to a new and higher place in life, you have to find an emotion that is greater than that to make you want to live, to make you want to change. And you've got to know that it's possible because if I can do it, I promise you, you can. And I've lived on the street. I've had some, I mean, I've told you my life journey in in, as, in the short version, um, but anybody can do it. And you've just got to want it enough. And somebody says, well, how do I create that want or that need? It's simple. You start by going onto YouTube and looking up inspirational, uh, motivational speakers and things like that. And you're not going to like all of their stuff. That's okay. But go from one, go to another. And just keep searching, searching, searching. And eventually, what you're actually doing is you're training your subconscious. Forget the fact that you aren't getting the, the click. But eventually what's happening is you are programming the same way as you program yourself on Netflix. You are programming your subconscious that this is the kind of material and data and energy you're putting into your body now because you're visually perceiving it. You're putting it in through your ears and you are pushing it through into your cortex and to your prefrontal cortex, which is starting to have you think. And when you're not running your automation program, you're not running your survival mechanism. And when you're not running those two, you're using your prefrontal cortex, which is your ability to be conscious. And consciousness and your awareness of, of your consciousness is when it starts suddenly beginning momentum. It's a, um, a, a doubling effect, you know, one becomes two, two becomes four, four becomes, um, eight, you know, eight, uh, and, and eight becomes 16. And eventually it's the compounding effect that eventually one day you just go, you know what, I'm going to change. It's beautiful advice. And I think it's also important to realize that people, if they're asking that question, right? Could things be better? Do I want to change? You've, you've already answered your own question. Yeah, because pe people who are where they want to be in life and people who are content are not walking around f fighting that question, right? So the very fact that you're asking that question of yourself is an indication. That's the thought. Yeah, it's an indication that your body and your mind is telling you, like, we've got to do something here. So, Brent, Brent it's amazing, man. How, how do we find you? How do we, when people want to learn more, they want to connect to your resources, how do they do so? Awesome. Thank you. And uh, we, you can check out the parenting stuff on dadology.com. Um, if you're looking to, if you're not a parent, but you want to do life transformational uh, mentoring, coaching, that kind of material, you can find me on brintomes.com. Um, and I'm on all the social medias at brintomes, B-R-I-N-N-T-O-M-E-S. Um, you can find me on all the social medias. Um, uh, with all my stuff, you can connect out there with me. If obviously you're going through something and you are in a place that you want a life transformational process, hit me in the DM um, and connect with me. And um, I welcome you and I welcome you all and embrace you to know that you are safe and loved, cared about enough that I'm here to help you. Um, and that's my journey and that's what my purpose. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you. you you've given me your most valuable resource, which is your time. Oh, thank you. And for yours, I've loved this. Oh, it's great. We're going to do it again. I mean, people say that we're, we're get, we got to do a part two and we see the pictures of your lovely daughter. And so she's a very lucky girl to have you.
I'm also lucky as well. That, that's I, it's just my boss, you know. Yeah. What I mean? I'm, I'm, and my greatest and my greatest teacher. So it's so funny when people say that they have kids. It's like, uh, no, kids have you. You know what I mean? <laughs> they, they have you by their heart for sure. So, so thank you, Brent. Thank you so much for this time, and let's do it again real soon. Seriously, awesome. Thank you, and namaste. Absolutely, absolutely. And everybody watching home, thank you for your time as well. Uh, your time is valuable to us. We've talked about change. We talked about asking those questions about you know if you're feeling that life could be a little bit better. Please check out Bren's stuff. He's given you all of his contacts. Ian does a phenomenal job. He'll have the contacts down below. But of course, a shout out to our sponsors as well, A New Behavioral Health. Uh, if you're in Ohio or you're in New Hampshire, uh, they have psychiatrists, they have psychologists, they have nurses, they have therapists, they have case managers. They have integrated approaches for mental health, for addiction issues. Um, if you want somebody to help you get started on your process of change or re-engage, sometimes people have tried change in the past. Uh, they lost hope. They lost faith. It didn't work out right away, but it's time to try again. Um, a new is a great place. Uh, they have great people that are willing to help you and can get you back on your feet, get you back started on that process to a better version of self, uh, to a better life and a better parent uh, for your children. Um, so anewbh.com, uh, that's a new behavioral health. You can also reach out to them. Help now at anewbh.com. Uh, final thanks to Bryn. Thank you, sir. Thanks to Ian. Appreciate you guys so much. Couldn't do without you. And everybody at home, until next time, uh, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thanks so much. Hey guys, although Through Help and Back is an excellent podcast with a lot of great ideas, I do want to let you know that in no way is Through Help and Back expected to be perceived as or relied upon in any way as specific medical advice or mental health advice for you personally. The information provided through Through Help and Back on our website or our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment that can be provided by your own providers. Do not use our content in lieu of professional advice given by qualified medical professionals and do not disregard professional medical advice or delay seeking professional advice because of the information you have read on our website, heard on our podcast, or otherwise received from us. Although we love discussing issues related to healthcare, mental health, and addiction, we are not providing direct healthcare, mental health care, medical, or nutrition therapy services. We're not attempting to diagnose, treat, prevent, or cure in any manner whatsoever any physical or psychological ailment, any mental or emotional issue, disease, or condition. We are not giving you specific medical, psychological, or religious advice whatsoever. Please take care of yourself and take care of others as you always seek the advice of your own medical providers and your own mental health providers regarding any questions or concerns you have about your specific health or before implementing any recommendations or suggestions from us. These are ideas that have worked for other people. We think it's important to share them. We do not guarantee that they will work for you specifically. Do not stop taking any medications without speaking to your physician nurse practitioner, physician assistant, mental health provider, or any other healthcare or medical professional. And if you have or suspect that you have a medical or mental health issue, contact your own healthcare provider promptly. Also, one last thing, if you know or suspect that you are currently experiencing a crisis, it is absolutely imperative that you seek the advice of your doctor or other emergency healthcare services prior to ever thinking about using our content. We love the conversations. We're glad you're stopping by. We hope you take a lot from the content. But again, for your specific individual medical situation, please always seek quality personal care from your own providers. Do not let this uh, information or this advice stand on its own. Thanks so much for listening.